0: Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Welcome to the tale of the tank.
1: Welcome to the Tale of the Tape. I'm your host, Kenny Keith of SportsRantRadio.com, and today we have a very, very special show for all you boxing fans that are listening out there. We're about to go 12 rounds with the founder and editor-in-chief of RoundByRoundBoxing.com, Alex Burgos. Alex, are you there?
0: I'm here, sir. How are you?
1: I'm great, man. I'm, uh, um, we're really privileged to have you on the tail of the tape and on Sports Rant Radio. Um, so let's get right to it. Let's dive right into 12 rounds of hard-hitting action. We're going 12 with Alex Burgos of roundbyroundboxing.com. All right, Alex. Tell me about the time, if you can recall, when you fell in love with boxing for the first time.
0: Mm. That's a tough question. There's not really a singular moment that I can say that's when I fell in love with boxing, but it was somewhere in the the mid to late 80s, I'd say early 90s. Um, some of my favorite guys to watch were Jorge Paz, um, you know, Mike Tyson, of course, uh, Chavez. uh the, there was always these moments of family unity uh, when around a prize fight, a lot of food illegal cable, and a big fight. So, you know, it, there, were, there was a lot of that. And, um, you know, our family gathered around, and, and I learned boxing, the love of it, from my grandfather, then my father and my brother. They were all always, in, in, you know, at the forefront and, and teaching me what was going on. And But I, I will say I've fallen in and out of love with it, and, you know, now <laughs> I'm in love again. But there, there's been, I remember off the top of my head, like, duran camacho uh whitaker chavez fights where you saw one thing or you thought you saw one thing and then you you didn't get that ending when the decision was announced um but you know so so goes boxing and it's a love-hate relationship but at the end of the day we're all crazed and we're here and we're watching and we're living it and we're loving it
1: absolutely man thanks for sharing that so we move on to round two If you could pick one fight to jump into Michael J. Fox's DeLorean, Marty McFly's DeLorean, and go back to the future and go sit ringside for one fight from the past, which fight would it be?
0: Well, I definitely would have to bring the hoverboard with me, but (laughs) I would go to Ollie Frazier 1 at the Garden. I mean, can you imagine 1971... Undisputed heavyweight championship on the line, at a time where boxing is, you know, one of the biggest sports, and you got these two giants of the ring going at it toe to toe. I can't even imagine what that atmosphere was like. Um, if I had to choose one, it's a difficult question, but if I had to choose one, I'd say Ali Frazier won. And knowing the outcome, you know what I mean? Knowing how great the the fight ended up being. Um, and how great, you know, trilogy just in general was, um, yeah, I would have to go with that fight, uh, honorable mention. I would say, uh, Diego Corrales and and Jose Luis Castillo, um, another great fight. I had the privilege of being ringside at Gotti Ward two, but I would easily trade that for Gotti Ward one as well. So uh, a lot of great fights, but I'll I'll go with Ali Frazier one.
1: Great choice, man. I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Um, all right. On the same note we move to round three. Speaking of great fights a fight today that has yet to be made. If you were the matchmaker, who would you pair against one another? And let's uh let's just go ahead and I I, I hope this isn't in your notes, but let's just go ahead and throw Floyd and Manny out the window and uh you know, because God knows if that's going to happen or not. We'll we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if you could make one fight, what fight would you make?
0: It's funny that you say that. Floyd and Manny is obviously on everyone's radar, everyone's wish list. Um, obviously, it would have been better a few years back, but I actually wrote that down. Let's throw that one out of the window because we all know we would all love to see it. So moving forward, what's left? What's going to be good? What What do we want to see? Personally... I have a few different options um a few different fights and matchups that that, that really pique my interest one being Lucas Matisse against Ruslan Provodnikov um that fight is just two murderers going at it um you might as well put Daniel Day-Lewis on the on the the poster because there will be blood and that's just <laughs> going to be a test of of wills and at the end of the day it's a it's a win-win for fight fans um the other two I'll mention are Gennady Golovkin and Andre Ward, which I wouldn't want to see at this time, but somewhere down the line would be great. And then also Canelo Alvarez against Miguel Cotto. Hopefully we get that one um sooner than later. Probably out of those three I'd say the Alvarez Cotto fight is the most um likely fight to happen.
1: Yeah, I um just to chime in on your uh, on your round here, I if if, if I could if I can make one fight, um, I'd like to see two two transcendent punchers um, in the ring with one another that are within relative weight of each other. I'd love to see Golovkin and Frotch um, because the whether they fought at 160 or 168, I think both both have uh, enormous power at the at the tip of their fingers. You know what I mean?
0: Definitely, definitely, I agree. Um, the beauty of Gennady Golovkin is that He's willing to do that. He's willing to go up and fight a 168-pound fighter, so why not? That would be a, um, you know, just take that to the U.K. or, you know, Vegas, anywhere. The problem is that Golovkin d- doesn't have that name. He's not that marquee um, star yet that probably Frotch is looking for in return. So that might be a hitch. But just in terms of fans wanting to see a good fight and, and a potential awesome matchup, yeah, you can't get much better than that
1: uh two two tough tough dudes. All right, so we move on to round 4. Okay, so Bob Arum is once again filling us filling our ears with all kinds of goodies to uh to chew on. He's saying that there wait, folks, just wait for it. Not one, but there could be two Manny and Floyd fights this year uh in 2015. Floyd, Floyd said in the Mayhem post-fight interview that it could happen. He actually mentioned Manny Pacquiao's name for the first time in the ring on Showtime. Alex, do you give any credibility to this, or is this just PR fluff for two guys whose pay-per-view numbers are steadily declining?
0: It's really difficult to believe anything from either side at this point. It's just because we've been fed so much BS over time. Um, you have Bob Arum saying one thing, uh, Leonard Ellerby and, and Floyd Mayweather refuting those claims, saying, no, that there's no offers on the table. Stephen Espinoza um, also saying, no, there's no, there hasn't been any offers uh, made. So you kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt. I feel like Manny Pacquiao at this point is really trying to put his promoter's hat on. He's kind of acting out of um, character and, and, you know, trolling Floyd Mayweather on, on instant, um, online on Instagram and Twitter and, and and all the social media forums, which is kind of Floyd's demo, you know, that that's his thing. That's he's a social media guy. And he's kind of more in tune with that. And, and, and Manny's kind of the more quiet guy, but, I don't know how much we can buy into the back and forth because it's just talk until so we see them actually get in the ring at least once. Then I can buy into, okay, we're going to get a rematch also. what I do think is going to happen is that Floyd may finish out his 2015 contract um, with two fights with Showtime and then maybe possibly seek one last fight for his 50th victory over Manny Pacquiao. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't hold my breath. Honestly, I, I got excited after the Maidana, the second Maidana fight, because Floyd was able to actually talk about it and not, you know, blow up or get defensive. But he he gave a credible answer, and and it seemed as though we were moving towards that. But I don't know. I mean, his dad recently said, I think as you know, today or yesterday, that, you know, he would expect Floyd to to face Pacquiao before he retires. But he also says that Amir Khan is probably next. So. You know, we're probably going to have to wait at this point, but I wouldn't buy into the fact that Aram is saying two fights next year. Bob Aram is old, <laughs> and I wouldn't believe it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and Bob Aram has been known to, uh, you know, to dangle the carrot in front of our faces uh, time and time again, for sure. Exactly. So we move on to round number five. <laughs> Coming across the news wires in the last few weeks, it has been made known to the public that boxing's golden boy, Saul Canelo Alvarez, the cinnamon fighter from Mexico, is taking his talents to where he started his championship career, to the home box office, and Oscar De La Hoya's golden boy has signed a long-term deal that could possibly finish Canelo's career with HBO. Alex, what are your thoughts on this signing? What kind of impact does this have on the landscape?
0: I think it's big on multiple levels. Um, I think for HBO, they recognize the fact that Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather have only a year or two left. So who's going to be that next guy? Now, we're not talking in terms of raw talent and you know, the championship level, Canelo will fight anyone. Canelo will fight your grandmother in a back alley if he has to, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, he is a guy that's going to give the fans what they want. Um, they're going to purchase pay-per-views for him and he's going to be that next box office star. So they reckon, you know, Ken Hirschman and, and the guys at HBO recognize that. And it's a smart move on their part. It's big for boxing just because HBO has more viewership. Um, you know, Canelo is going to fight. Like I said, anyone and everyone. So there's a lot of enticing matchups. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the Miguel Cotto fight is there. Um, if obviously Canelo is not going to be at 154 pounds for the rest of his career, as he has said before. I mean, his body is just growing. He's a young guy. Um, he's going to eventually get to the middleweight, and so there's going to be enticing matchups. He's a young guy, so he's got a, the longevity there is going to pay off for HBO where he's going to fight, you know, for a long time. And, you know, his fight with Claudio was was recently called off because of an ankle injury. Claudio was not the the first matchup that I wanted to see for him on HBO, but I get it. I get that they're building up to something greater, and and, and that's Miguel Cotto, you know. So hopefully we'll still get that fight in in, uh, first or second quarter next year. And I think for HBO, it's a big deal. I think for boxing, it's a big deal. More eyes on, on, on the fights. And um, HBO knows what they can do. They they do the 24 They do pay-per-views really well. They have a great team in fact. Max Kellerman, Jim Lampley, um, Andre Ward, if he doesn't want to, you know, fight. I guess he can commentate. So um, Canelo's in, in good hands. And Oscar seems like he's really taking the reins of his company. And, and you know, hopefully we'll get some good fights in your future form.
1: Um yeah, I uh I'm 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 buying what you're selling. That uh you know Canelo's future is bright and HBO now has a uh, a full lineup of, of a star studded cast. But um just so you know Alex here on the tail of the tape uh, Andre Ward is officially retired. We have retired him. <laughs> um he no longer fights um his excuses have run dry and um he uh you know he can't afford to, to train to fight anymore because he's uh investing in frivolous lawsuits. So he is retired.
0: <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I do know that because I read your pound for pound list. Um I, I I understand a lot of people do retire him at this point just because he's not active. <laughs> but I personally have him still as number two on my pound-for-pound pound list just because he's such a great talent. He's so dominant. He's beaten so many people. Um, you know, unfortunately, with the new, um, you know, wrinkle in the whole situation with Dan Goosen's passing, rest in peace, um, there may be, you know, something different coming on the horizon. So we can only hope that out of this negative you know, the passing of Dan Goose and maybe something positive can come out of, you know, maybe Andre Ward actually realizing, okay, well, let's put this all behind us. Let me finish out my contract. Whatever the case may be, let me get back in the ring. It hasn't been a year yet. It will be in November since he beat the brakes off of Edwin Rodriguez. Get back in the ring, you know. We all want to see you. Unfortunately, he says, you know, if he were to retire now, he'd be fine with it, but, you know, as a fight fan, I can't buy that, so Hopefully he'll get back in the room soon enough and um you know be unretired on your on your pound for pound list. <laughs>
1: I'll I'll believe it when I see it. But from the retired to the the youthful exuberance of the golden boy Canelo, we move on to the geriatrics circle for round number six. <laughs> and we're talking about the man they called the executioner but now they call him the alien because he is not from this planet and we're talking about alien versus crusher on November 8th live from Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City to unify the light heavyweight division Alex what do you think is going to happen in alien versus crusher
0: Man you can't get a better matchup um the fight poster is epic the the name of the promotion is epic. The two fighters are epic. You got almost a, a nearly fifty year old guy fighting one of the most feared knockout artists in boxing today. So it's just enticing. I get excited just talking about it. But I was ringside for for Hopkins and um Shumanoff, and I was really taken back by by Hopkins's just ring generalship. His it was the first fight that I had actually seen up close in person. It's one thing watching it on TV, but it's another being there live. He's just a master technician, master of his craft. Now, obviously, Shumanov is not, um, Sergei Kovalev. Sergey Kovalev is not scared of anyone. Um, he'll walk through hell to get to his guy. And once he touches you nine out of 10 times, you're gone. So what we have here is the is clash of two styles and it's just a matter of, of, of whose style is going to win out. Now, a lot of people say, you know, Bernard Hopkins can turn 50 overnight and that, that may be the case, but I don't really see it happening. He made a, a comment and a quote a long time ago that, that went a little something like guys don't get old overnight in the ring. They get old in training. They get old um, during camp. And their team and their trainers just aren't honest with them, and they don't tell them the fact that, hey, you really need to hang them up. So I don't think that Bernard Hopkins is going to be much different from what we saw in the last slide and maybe the previous one before that. But having said that, Sergey Kovalev is not someone to mess with, and it's not anyone that he's seen lately. Um, I think as long as Kovalev is cognizant of the fact that he's going to have to deal with maybe a little bit of uh, rough and tough gamesmanship hits behind the head and angles, a lot of angles. He's going to need to, to, to cut off the ring. Hopkins is not going to be right there in front of him. I think as long as he's, he's training for that. And John David, David Jackson is training him for that, that once he does touch Hopkins, it's going to be a, a rude awakening for the alien. He's going to bring him back down to earth.
1: Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so we have a clash of styles in, alien versus crusher which leads us in to the second half of our 12 round bout so we go into the seventh round and not only a clash of styles but a clash of stature and height and reach and physical appearance chris Algieri, the former kickboxing champion who is pushing the height's of close to six feet tall, how he ever weighed in at 140 pounds is beyond my rational thinking. But now is entering the welterweight division at 147 pounds and will take on the legendary Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao for Manny's welterweight belt on November 22nd. Now this could not be, there could not be a bigger clash of this is a bigger clash of styles, I think than Algeria versus siberian rocky what does chris Algeria have to do to take down pac-man on november 22nd in macau china
0: i tell you what it's it's a tall order to to pick chris algeria and and it's going to be really tough now one thing that you mentioned was that the, the fight is at 147 i believe the fight is at a 144 catch weight so i agree though I don't know how Chris Algeria has made the 140 pound limit for, you know, his previous fights. Um, he's a huge guy. He's tall, he's muscular, he's built. Um, so he won't have a problem filling into that extra four pounds at all. Um, the problem here is that he doesn't punch. Um, he's not going to be able to dictate the pace. Um, like a lot of boxers, I kind of see him like a, a Paulie Malonaji where he's kind of flailing around a little bit. Um, he's good at boxing. He has a good jab, but he's not going to be able to to, to really keep Manny Pacquiao off of him. Uh, Manny Pacquiao obviously isn't the the storm of, of four years ago or five years ago, but he is going to throw punches and bunches. He's going to hit him from different angles. And if Chris Algeri thought that Ruslan Provodnikov was a problem. He's in for a rude awakening. Um, he needs to make his dinner reservations for about 20 minutes after the fight starts. Go ahead and wrap it up. Get out of there and collect your check because it's going to be a bad night for Chris Algeria. These guys are on two totally different levels. And, um, you know, unless there's something that that I'm missing, Manny Pacquiao runs over and steamrolls Chris Algeria.
1: Yeah, I'm with you 100% there. Um, I said it before on a previous episode of the Tale of the Tape when uh, my co-host Vince and I were breaking down that fight. Um, Ruslan Provodnikov in that fight could not have represented or impersonated a stationary heavy bag better. Um, He was a moving stationary target if there is such a contradiction. You, you, I mean, you buying what I'm selling, Alex?
0: I am definitely, and I think he got excited after that first round, but he, he kind of went back into that, that lull of, okay, well, I'm just going to walk you down. I don't need any head movement. I'm just going to get in there and hit you with that one punch again, and you're going to go down.
1: Yeah, and, and 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 another thing, too, is I don't know if it was a uh, um, you know, something with that got lost in translation in the corner, but Provodnikov was not listening to Freddie Roach at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I almost feel like um, Marvin Simodio is better equipped to deal with Ruslan Provodnikov. He spends more time with him. Um, You know, Freddie's all over the place. He's training like a thousand guys at once. You know, Ruslan Provodnikov needs, uh, I mean, he did so well with Marvin Simodio in the Mike Alvarado fight. Just, let him be the guy. But I agree. I mean, I don't know if, like you said, it was a loss in translation type thing, but, I mean, he was just going out there and, and doing his own thing.
1: Yeah, he was head hunting. He got, he got uh, like you said, really, really excited by that, uh, um, you know, hurting Algeri or at least damaging Algeria's eye with that first knockdown. But like you said, Manny Pacquiao will attack you from many angles and will not walk straight forward Through a very, very yes, is it an accurate jab? Is it an effective and long reaching jab by Algieri? Yes. But um, there is little to no consequence on the end of that jab whatsoever. Manny Pacquiao, I'm with you when you're right, Alex, will make quick work of the upstart, Chris Algieri. So now we move on to round number eight. And what has been billed, and this is, I don't care, I've got to get a blow-up poster of this fight promotion, because not only is it, this is attention-grabbing, not only is it spot-on to somebody extremely out-of-the-loop and really, really liberal, they may even think it's racist, but as it comes to boxing speak, we all know what it means. The fight card dubbed Mexican Style this is the, the, I mean, this name is perfect. So in the lead-in fight, the co-feature on Mexican style, we have the Filipino Flash. Nonito Donaire takes on the Jamaican champion, Nicholas Walters. Who do you like in this fight? This is a, a match of Ring Magazine's number three and number four ranked. So what happens in Donaire Walters, Alex?
0: Well, first of all, let me make mention to the to the name of the event, Mexican Style. Ever since this was um, announced, I've been ordering my breakfast every morning at the deli, um, my eggs and, and, and everything. Let me get it Mexican Style. I'm so excited <laughs> for this, and I don't think that the name is, is derogatory at all. Like you said, fight fans, uh, boxing heads, we know what this means. This is all action, um, and and it was perfect because of the way that Gennady Golovkin set it up after knocking out uh, Daniel Giel. He said, "My style is the Mexican style." So he he set it up. Whoever told him to say that, or if that was off the cuff, it was perfect because it set him up for this fight. But going into the uh, the opening um, fight, Nonito Donaire and Nicholas Walters, um, this is a really interesting fight, just because um, Nonito Donaire is really hasn't looked good to me in his last couple of fights. Um, it's like the Guillermo Rigondeau beatdown took every fighting spirit out of him. And it's like now he's kind of just going through the motions, walking around the ring, and he's just gotten away with, you know, wins against, um, you know, a couple of of decent guys. Um, But against Nicholas Walters, I think he's in against a different beast. Uh, Walters has one of the most – you know, eye-catching highlight reel KOs of the year against Vic Darchinian, whereas Donair struggled with him in in their rematch. Um, I really feel as though Donair is ripe for the picking and Walters might have his second highlight reel KO of the year. I really feel like Walters is, you know, going to win this fight. It's just a matter of how. I don't think Donaire has done much for himself ever since that Rigondeaux fight and then moving up in weight. I just don't really see him doing enough um, to beat Walters. It's going to be an awesome fight because it's at the StubHub Center. So it's like that's already embedded in, in, in every fighter's DNA. You know, once you go into the StubHub, it, it's got to be an instant classic. Um, but but realistically speaking, I think Donaire um, really needs to to be careful. And, and if he does get whitewashed here, if he does get steamrolled and run over he might think about uh, hanging him up
1: yeah man it's going to be a good one it's going to be an interesting to see how this unravels but you said it right man the StubHub center as i've been calling it on on our show the mecca of action fights for sure so that takes us into the main event and we are coming into the final rounds round number nine So for the main event of Mexican style, Marco Antonio Rubio, 34-year-old journeyman, who is tough and rugged as they come and has every uh, quality that you want in your, your typical tough, tough fighter. Um, this guy is, is, is made perfectly for an action fight with none other than Triple G Gennady Golovkin. So in Rubio Golovkin Mexican style, does Marco Antonio Rubio even stand a chance? Is he gonna make it past the third round? Is he going to surpass what what his predecessors in Daniel Giel Matthew Macklin, Curtis Stevens, how far is this thing gonna go, man? What's gonna happen here? Does he stand a chance?
0: I'll tell you what. Um I absolutely think that he is going to get knocked out. Um I'll, I'll put it out there, I'll put it out there right now. But he has, you know, the pedigree. He's been in there with top-notch guys. Um, but I see this ending badly for him. I see Gennady Golovkin making a lot more fans with his knockout um, artistry. Um, if a, lo- a lot of people may not remember uh, Marco Antonio Rubio, Kofi Jantua, 2004. Um, he clipped with an amazing left hook from Jantua. And it was lights out for Rubio. And I see a, a similar ending against Golovkin. This guy is just a machine. Nobody wants to fight him. Uh, they're asking him to go up one, two weight classes just to get a, uh, you know, uh, a formidable opponent. And I think that Gennady Golovkin is going to do what he's done to every other top ten middleweight that has actually had the, the balls to get in the ring with him. Daniel giel Curtis Stevens, Matthew Macklin. Um, he's going to knock him out. And it may go past two or three rounds, but I'm assuming that around fourth or fifth, if it does get that far, that that Golovkin catches up to him and turns in another impressive KO performance.
1: Well, then that takes us right past. Well, Actually, we can sneak in an extra round. So let's just go ahead and reshuffle and reboot, and we will go into round number 10. So if the foregone conclusion has concluded and Triple G steamrolls Rubio, who do you think Triple G will go after next? Who do you think would want to fight him, which that is a tall order to find somebody of that ilk and mind frame. And, um, you know, you spoke before of possible matchups that you'd like to see him with. But what do you think is next for Triple G, assuming that he finishes business against Rubio in Mexican style?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the thing that I don't like right now that a lot of boxing fans are saying is Gennady Golovkin's not that guy yet. You know, he's not proven. Um I beg to differ. He's just making these really good fighters look really ordinary. And you can't argue his resume. You know, you got guys that um in the ring rankings were all top ten guys. You got Matthew Macklin, you've got Daniel Gill, you've got Curtis Stevens, um, you know, all top ten guys. This is Marco Antonio Rubio, another top ten guy in the middleweight division. So you're talking about four top ten middleweights in the last five fights that he's fighting. And if he does do to Rubio, like I think he will do, he's going to knock him out. Then we're we're, we're starting to look outside of that box and say, okay, well, who's next? Peter Quillen won't fight him. Um, you know, Miguel Cotto won't fight him. Freddie Roach might think he's going to fight him, but he's not going to fight him. Um, Canelo Alvarez has a a date looming with Toto. So, you know, and I don't think Canelo should be the guy to step up and fight him. But, you know, just like I don't think Golovkin needs to move up at this point to face Andre Ward or seek an Andre Ward fight. I think he should clean out the middleweight division. Um, He's not the youngest of guys, but he has a couple years where he can, in one year, clean out, you know, the middleweight division with with three or four fights that he's been doing. Um, I think... Hassan and Dom might be a really good fight. And Dom took care of business against Curtis Stevens on ESPN recently. Um, He's up for a chance uh, for the IBF middleweight title against the winner of Solomon and Taylor. And so I'm sure that fight is going to be next for him. But he's calling out Gennady Golovkin. He's another top ten guy, you know, where people might say, oh, well, he's not, you know, a pound-for-pound guy. But tell me who's, who's lining up to face Gennady Golovkin. I wouldn't, I, and I don't blame him, but at the same time, you know, you got guys giving up titles, giving up millions of dollars. Um, you know, who who's this guy, you know, left to fight? Not a whole lot of guys. Um, the, the lineal true middleweight champion is not even a middleweight, Miguel Cotto. So let's see what happens um, when Canelo fights him. If Canelo happens to win, he said already that, hey, if i got to fight Golovkin, I'll fight Golovkin. Um, I'd like to see him get a few fights at middleweight under his belt. But at this point, it's really tough to say who's actually going to have the gall and, and and who's going to step into the ring with him. I mean, you you name guys maybe like Sam Solomon if he beats Taylor and then gets past him down, but I mean, what's he going to do? Um, You've got guys like Felix Sturm, Robert Secret, um Arthur Abraham. There's not really a young crop that's going to come up and, and, and really do something and and you know, pose a threat, in my opinion, to Gennady Golovkin. So maybe, you know, a few more fights if he can, if he can land a couple more titles and, and kind of clean out the top guys in the division. If, if Peter Korn were to ever man up and fight him, uh, maybe after he fights Danny Jacobs, if that's what's going to go down, um, then I would love to see him go up to 168 tons and, and explore uh, what's up there. You know, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., Andre Ward, uh, guys like that.
1: Yeah, you know what actually seems to make sense from a uh, promoter who is promoted by who, easy fight to make sort of um, uh, way of thinking here, is that Peter Quillen abandoning his WBO belt at the um, the advisement of one Al Heyman, now with that WBO belt floating um, in orbit around the planet right now, looking – somewhere to land uh Matt Korobov and Andy Lee are both HBO top ranked guys and the winner of that fight and if what Gennady Golovkin is saying that he is hunting belts at this point in his career it seems to me that the winner of Korobov Lee on December 13th could be Triple G's next opponent what do you think
0: I agree I agree it could be December 13th Korobov Lee um you know, Golovkin has already beaten Korobov in the amateurs. Um, I don't think either guy stands a chance, but you know, I'd love to see it just because it's like fun watching Golovkin dispense of these really notable, legitimate fighters, top 10 guys, top five guys. Um, you know, those are the guys you want to fight, even if they're stay busy fights. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd watch it. I'd watch him against Andy Lee, him against Matt Korobov. Um, uh, but, you know, none of those guys, in my opinion, are going to threaten his run. He's just an animal right now. and I really don't see anyone other than Andre Ward, who at would have to be at 168 pounds. I don't see anyone other than Ward really challenging him.
1: All right, so that takes us in. we got two rounds left. We're going to take what was the final round and split it into round 11 and 12. So we go into the 11th round we are in the championship rounds here at the tail of the tape so far there's been it's been up and down mixed reviews on 2014 from you run the gauntlet of media outlets fans people who follow the sport closely um it's been a mixed bag of reviews as to what's been good what's been a sham what's been a weekend at bernie's fight and what's been legit and and in your opinion So far, and there's still some great fights to be made at the end of this 2014 boxing season, but so far in 2014, what is your fight of the year up to this point?
0: That's a great question. Um, We did some mid-year reviews um, and awards on round-by-round boxing. Um, A bunch of our staff members weighed in. Um, I personally chose Terrence Crawford against Yuri Gamboa as my fight of the year, um, midway through the year. And I'll stick to that one right now. um I really liked Orlando Salido's last fight. There was probably thirty seven knockdowns <laughs> in a in a <laughs> in a few rounds, and it was just awesome to watch um But I really take into account the upper echelon guys the 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 high level um skill and terence Crawford and, and Yuri Gamboa, even though Gamboa was moving up and probably was at a weight that he's not so comfortable at but those are two top notch guys, two highly skilled guys. And they went out. It they were there were um, two two different fights within that one fight. Crawford was being outboxed, um, and Gamboa was really controlling the first few rounds. And then Crawford settled in and and really you know he turned the southpaw and, and and worked angles and and did a lot of things that um, I think even Roy Jones was critical of initially because he was getting hit, but then. You know, he turned it into something positive, and it was just a master performance from a guy that's probably going to be the future, one of the future stars of the sport, uh, in Terence Crawford. So, I'll go with Crawford Gamboa. Um, I watch it probably every other weekend <laughs> just because it's that much fun. I've seen it about ten or eleven times since the initial airing.
1: Man, uh, <clears throat> we have we have very very similar tastes in fine wines because. I'll tell you right now. I tell uh, I tell my co-host Vince all the time. So far this year, Crawford Gamboa is at the top of my list as well for fight of the year. I, I agree with you, man. It's one of those fights you can watch over and over again, but it is just just barely on my my list right now. Just barely in front of Froch Groves two, and the reason I have that as the actual fight itself in. Um, Crawford Gamboa, the actual in-the-ring action, was better. But I'd never, and we may never see it again, but I had never in my life witnessed a boxing spectacle like we saw at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 fans. So, But as far as in the in-the-ring action is concerned, I'm with you 100%. Crawford Gamboa, um, and uh, to all of you, Uh, Fight fans out there that that just so happen to uh, miss that fight, check out HBO On Demand because you will be watching it over and over and over again just like Alex and I. So we move into the final round of 12 rounds with Alex Burgos. (laughs) Round 12. We just talked about the fight of the year to this point in 2014. If you could pick one knockout of the year so far in two thousand fourteen, what's at the top for you?
0: That's an interesting question as well. Just like um the fight of the year, you know, we did some reviews on the on the knockout of the year, uh midway through the year and, and at that point I, I chose Frank Galarza against um John Thompson, which was a showbox fight. It was two young, undefeated guys. Thompson um was the favorite fighter. But the thing I love about Showbox is it gives these young, hungry guys a platform and, and, and a lot of eyes on them um where they you know are willing to put it all out there and get to that next level. Galarza scored a ridiculously vicious left hook and put Thompson, you know, face first on the canvas. Um it was it was a spectacle. But after that I, I like I said with the Gamboa and Crawford fight I tend to to lean towards these, um, fights where you got two guys, uh, high level guys, like a Frost groves. Um, so I would, at this point, maybe give Frost groves the edge, um, because it was such a spectacle, 80,000 people. Like you said, it was just incredible to watch that. I can only imagine being there. Um, it, it just looked like, you know, the most ridiculous time <laughs> ever. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, but I'll also give honorable mention to a guy who mentioned before that for mentioned, um, Andy Lee, uh, he was losing almost every round on the undercard of the, the Coto Martinez fight against John Jackson, the son of Julian Jackson. Um, but time to hook beautifully and put Jackson out of there. And that's probably one of the best punches you'll ever see um land. So that's on that's on YouTube as well. So if you have if you missed that, you should definitely check out Andy Lee's knockout of, of John Jackson. And it it really got him to the point where he is now, you know, in line for a, a title. Um that was at 154 pounds, but he's moving up um back to one sixty. So Andy Lee's knockout of John Jackson was incredible as well.
1: Yeah, uh it's funny you should mention that. I was at that fight and we actually broadcasted from the uh from our hotel across the street from, from Madison Square Garden at the New Yorker and Vince and I um I think we were the only two people in the garden uh for the first fight of the evening and um we sat there through the entire evening and you're right, that fight was so unbelievably lopsided. He was getting his ass beat and I remember the way of things is that Jackson had pressured Andy Lee from the against the ropes he almost knocked him through the ropes. And then the it's, the fight started to, like, round, come around halfway uh, around the ring. And Andy Lee had his back against the wall. There was no way out and the only way out. And when he threw that punch, I almost literally fell out of my seat. I I was just like, oh, <laughs> could not believe what I had seen. But, uh, yeah, man, those are all all great choices, Alex. And uh, we got about a minute here left on uh on the tail of the tape but uh i just want to extend my uh my deepest gratitude uh to you alex for for joining me for 12 rounds on the tail of the tape here on sports rant radio it's uh it's been a blast man
0: likewise man i really appreciate it had a had a blast would love to do it again and what's better than talking boxing for 12 rounds
1: oh absolutely man there's nothing better than that So for Alex Burgos, the editor-in-chief and founder of roundbyroundboxing.com, I'm Kenny Keith of sportsrantradio.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at sportsrantradio. Be sure to drop by sportsrantradio.com for all the archived episodes of the Tale of the Tape. This has been a special edition of Sports Rant Radio.